Hello, I'm Beth Fateni, the director of the New York-based nonprofit Green Inside and Out and host of the Green Inside and Out podcast, where we cover environmental topics to keep you informed, inspired, and empowered to take action. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us this evening. Um, my name is Beth Fateni with Green Inside and Out. Um, first, I want to thank our co-sponsors, the Huntington Breast Cancer Action Coalition with Karen Miller and the Great Neck Breast Cancer Coalition with Laura Weinberg, um, with whom I've worked for about 20 years on numerous efforts and projects to help educate the public about the health effects of toxins in common products we use every day. I also want to thank our speakers, Mike Shade from Toxic Free Future and Alexandra Quinn from Fashion Forward for joining us this evening to share information about this important topic of toxins in our clothing, specifically the set of chemicals called PFAS, the perfluoroalkyl substances. And I want to acknowledge all the hard work they've been doing to raise awareness and to take action on this subject. I was inspired to put this webinar together after participating in monthly calls of the PFAS, PFAS and Textiles Coalition, made up of several organizations working on this subject from around the country. And I've been really inspired to hear about all the progress being made in terms of legislation in other states, which we'll hear about later. I know just on the agenda this week, we are, we're going to hear about actions in California, Colorado, Massachusetts, Maryland, and so forth, which is really great. So some of you may know that um, I started looking into the issue of sustainable clothing about 20 years ago and ended up publishing a book about it in 2018 called The Green Wardrobe Guide, which focuses on natural fabrics. Um, and it's just been so encouraging to see how, how much more attention is being paid to the issue of sustainability in general in the fashion industry in terms of upcycling and repurposing fabrics, but also including this issue of toxins and you know, how they're used. Um, because unfortunately, these PFAS chemicals are only some of many chemicals used in textiles um, you know, that we can be exposed to, which can include, for example, toxins in dyes or formaldehyde that's used to make fabrics wrinkle-free. So I'll hand it off to Laura and Karen to talk a little about, a bit about the health effects of these chemicals. But first, the main thing I want to point out is that there's, a, there's been a bill introduced in New York State Legislature that prohibits the manufacture, distribution, or sale of any common apparel containing perfluoroalkyl substances in New York State, which is really, really exciting. So I definitely want to make sure that this is not only an informative webinar, but it, it's also an action-oriented one um, to empower each one of us to please write to their legislators to express support for this bill. And after this webinar, I'll be emailing everyone um, that's in attendance a draft letter of support, so you don't have to just make it up yourself, uh, but you can use it as a template to you know, tweak it and put it into your own words um, if you'd like. And, and I'll include the links on how to find your legislators in case you don't know who they are. Um, so this way, each one of us can make a difference. So with that, I'll hand it off to Karen Miller, and then we'll hear from our speakers. And hopefully, hopefully we'll leave some time for Q&A. Thanks, Beth. Um, welcome, everybody. I'm really excited to have been included in today's very important and very timely discussion. Um, so when we think of health, our minds go to large categories. We think of food, of course. We think of exercise. We think of stress. I've had a lot of that lately. And we say the air we breathe, the water we drink, and the food we eat. I almost sing it every day. I'm sure everybody on this webinar does it too. But these are huge categories. For decades, health advocating, advocating organizations have taken a deeper dive into all the ways our bodies are being assaulted. How in the world can we depend on our body to reduce these huge amounts of chemical exposures? First, we need to be aware and explore all the ways chemicals can enter our body. What's the life cycle of that chemical exposure? And what are the ways we can reduce our risk for these exposures? And how toxic are the chemicals that are affecting not only directly our body, but negatively affecting our environment? The water, the air, the food. So we're starting by recognizing that we live in a toxic soup. Some exposures can be mitigated easily. Some are forever, like PFAS, the forever chemical. And we as consumers are adding to this toxic burden every day and in every way, and we're not even aware of it. 
1987, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. It put me on a path to explore how our body from the womb and throughout our life is impacted by toxic chemical exposure. Today, representing Huntington Breast Cancer Action Coalition, we'll talk together about textiles and chemicals. Yes, for me, from the blanket I used to swaddle my first newborn and my twins to the first raincoat I bought each and every one of them for kindergarten, all mixing, all in my beautiful, clean, pristine home, but all mixing in the house dust. I think of it now and I'm sad. I created also unknowingly a toxic soup of chemicals. And my children, my grandchildren, your children, all their health is at risk. We know and we've heard from Dr. Landrigan often that children are not little adults. And we know it's small doses over a lifetime starting when we are most vulnerable. We need to continue to follow the science, participate in conversation, participate in actionable ways that leading environmental groups provide us, like Beth just spoke about. I cannot wait to hear Mike and Alexandra and my colleague also, Laura Weinberg from Great Neck. So I thank Green Inside and Out for today's focus, because through this education and action, um, we're going to learn a lot and we're going to be able to do a lot. So thank you, Beth, for the opportunity. And I'd like to introduce my colleague from the Great Neck Breast Cancer Coalition, Laura Weinberg. Thank you so much, Karen. And uh, everything that you have just mentioned certainly resonates with, with me and I'm sure everybody on the panel. So how, how are we exposed to PFAS or perfluoral alkyl uh, exposures? And uh, they, they can be in our personal care products, such as something so personal as dental floss, in our makeup for women, food, the lining of food packaging, rugs, carpets, upholstery, and uh, other waterproof uh, apparel. And so uh, what, what are the potential health effects of exposure to PFAS? The long-term exposure to PFAS has been linked to an increased risk of some cancers, including breast cancer, endocrine disruption, immune system suppression, and problems with fetal development. Some PFAS compounds that could accumulate in the lungs have been linked to more severe cases of COVID-19, which was something that was very new to me to read. Also, the Silent Spring Institute is studying this class of chemicals because some types of PFAS have been linked to breast cancer and immunotoxicity in children, thyroid disease, reproductive problems, and other health effects. The Institute's work is focused on understanding how people are exposed to PFAS and their impacts on health. Also, there's been a which I found very interesting. In 2020, there was a case control study of PFAS and breast cancer risk in young Taiwanese women. 16 health and medical institutions in Taiwan contributed or signed off on this study. 120 breast cancer patients were enrolled and 119 controls at the National Taiwan University Hospital. It was concluded by this particular study that PFAS was associated with breast cancer risk of estrogen receptor positive tumors in young Taiwanese women. They have said that they have to continue with the studies on this association. The Silent Spring Institute and Harvard uh, School of Public Health and the Massachusetts Breast Cancer Coalition has collaborated to investigate the relationship between PFAS and drinking water and its effect on human health. This is going to be a five-year project. Findings from this study will inform policymakers to protect public health and support communities in reducing their exposure. This public health investigation is one of seven projects funded by the US Centers for the CDC and the Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry. So because I'm also, I'm not a survivor, but uh, as I, was very, very, very concerned when I knew that, that 16 women in my neighborhood 
words I had been diagnosed with breast cancer about 26 years ago. I became very active because I had two young girls in my house to, to my two children. And I said, something is going on here. Some environmental impact is happening. And so lo and behold, after 26 years of all this knowledge that also Karen and Beth and, and also our distinguished uh, speakers know that, uh, that this is like no coincidence. And there's just too much research on this at this point. We have to move forward and learn how to protect ourselves. And hopefully with this particular uh, seminar that we're giving, that you'll learn how to protect yourself in, in ways that Karen and I had just mentioned as well. Thank you so much for having me here, both uh, Alexandra, Mike, and Beth, thank you. Thank you, Laura, she's our researcher. <laughs> but it's really important for us to know like what these chemicals can potentially do to us, so thank you. So first I will introduce our, our first speaker, um, Mike Shade. He is the campaign director for Mind the Store, a program that challenges the nation's leading retailers to transform the marketplace away from hazardous chemicals and develop comprehensive, safer chemicals policies. Previously, Mike was the markets campaign coordinator with the Center for Health, Environment and Justice, or CHEDG, a national organization where he led campaigns to phase out PVC plastic, that's polyvinyl chloride, phthalates, and bisphenol A, or BPA, in consumer products. He has a Bachelor of Science in Environmental Studies from the University at Buffalo. So welcome, Mike. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much for that <clears throat> wonderful introduction. Uh, Beth, Karen, and Laura, really honored to be here today with Alexandra. So uh, yeah, so I work for Toxic Free Future. We're a national environmental health organization that has been around for over 40 years, and we work to protect public communities and workers from exposure to harmful chemicals that are used to make everyday consumer products uh, such as textiles. Uh, <clears throat> we work uh, to both advance policy solutions at the state and the federal level. We work to advance change uh, in the marketplace through our Mind the Store campaign, which I coordinate. And we also conduct uh, consumer education and original research uh, to identify chemicals of high concern that can be found in everyday products uh, all around us. So as we heard, uh, I'm going to be talking today about uh, why we're concerned about PFAS in textiles and other clothing. I'm in particular going to talk about a new study that we just published a couple of months ago called Toxic Convenience, the Hidden Costs of Forever Chemicals in Stain and Water-Resistant Products. So, uh, you know, just to kind of set the stage a little bit, as Karen and Laura talked about, you know, we're concerned about PFAS because from production to use to disposal, uh, the use of PFAS for clothing and other textiles leaves behind a toxic trail of pollution that can be harmful for communities and workers where PFAS is manufactured, expose consumers to harmful chemicals just from wearing products like rain gear, and finally, when these products are disposed of, uh, the chemicals don't, don't go away. They can persist in the environment for, for generations. They can last for hundreds, uh, possibly thousands of years. And the use of PFAS in textiles contributes uh, to this pollution throughout its life cycle. So I wanna highlight first just a couple of examples. Uh, we first learned about the dangers of PFAS uh, really in the early 2000s when uh, there was litigation against chemical manufacturers like DuPont. And it was discovered that DuPont and other chemical manufacturers that made PFAS were posing real, um, real risks to both workers and community members that lived near or downstream from their facilities. Chemical companies today like Camores that manufacture PFAS chemicals for the textiles industry have contaminated drinking water supplies uh, downstream of their facilities. So the manufacturer of PFAS to make things like rain gear is contributing to the contamination of these uh, frontline communities in places like North Carolina and West Virginia where these chemicals are made. Uh, we also know that when PFAS are applied to textiles in factories, in textile mills, that can also pose risks to communities, workers and the environment near these facilities. Uh, according to the US EPA, uh, textile mills can release uh, PFAS into wastewater. And uh, according to the EPA, uh, wastewater facilities that then receive this wastewater from the textile mills are actually not equipped uh, 
uh, to clean up these contaminants and they're not even monitoring them. Uh, we also know that studies have documented significant environmental impacts uh, and, and, and risks for workers and communities in places like China, uh, where a lot of our clothing is made from. Uh, one study that was done, which I linked to here, uh, looked at worker exposure to PFAS in a textile mill uh, that uses PFAS for clothing. And they found that workers at this one plant was, were being exposed to levels of PFAS at about 100,000 times that of the general Western population. So this is a serious occupational health risk for workers in these factories, as well as communities and the environment nearby. Uh, we also know that the use of PFAS in textiles can also pose risks to us as consumers. When we wear products like rain gear, uh, we actually can be exposed to these chemicals. Uh, some of the PFAS are actually quite volatile. And uh, a number of a few different studies have looked at the effects of weathering clothing and how that impacts uh, the presence of PFAS on our clothing. So this one study, uh, which we see linked here, uh, they actually uh, replicated weathering. So they exposed rain gear to uh, UV radiation as you would from a sunlight from the sun. Uh, they also uh, exposed uh, the product to heat and humidity. And after they did this, they found that the levels of PFAS increased uh, quite significantly, in some cases by a factor of five to a hundred fold. So that suggests that just by everyday wear and tear, you know, exposing a product like a rain jacket to the elements, the concentrations of these chemicals can increase and they can be released from the rain jacket, they can evaporate into the air, uh, uh, exposing consumers uh, to these chemicals. We also know that this can also be an issue for workers uh, in stores that sell rain gear and other uh, textiles. One study found that outdoor apparel retailers have uh, significantly higher concentrations of PFAS in indoor air compared to other uh, types of locations. So this is also an occupational health concern for workers at stores like REI that sell these products. We also know that uh, there is some evidence that some PFAS can actually travel through the skin, uh, such as some of the legacy long chain PFAS, which uh, actually are still used today in uh, textiles. So we as consumers, when we wear rain gear laden with PFAS, we may be exposed to uh, potentially harmful levels of these chemicals over time. You know, think many, many years of wearing these products. And then when we launder these products, what happens? Well, uh, perhaps not surprisingly, studies have also documented that when we launder textiles that contain PFAS, uh, significant concentrations of these chemicals uh, can make their way into the laundry water. And then of course, when that water is uh, discharged, when it enters the sewers, when it goes through wastewater treatment plants, or if you're in a more rural community like where I am, they can get into the septic tanks and then make their way into the environment. Uh, we also know that a lot of clothing uh, sheds microplastic fibers. Uh, there have been studies that have also documented PFAS present in microplastic fibers. Uh, one study looking in the European Union estimated that as much as 2,000 pounds per year of PFAS released uh, into the environment in the European Union alone from, uh, from rain jackets. And then finally, when we dispose of these products, right, when we send it to a landfill, when we send it to an incinerator, the chemicals also can be released into the environment. And then for communities that live near landfills or that live near incinerators, uh, they may potentially be exposed. Uh, for example, in Michigan, uh, who's probably done uh, more environmental sampling of landfills than probably most other states, uh, they've identified uh, landfills as a significant source of PFAS in the environment. So if you live in a community near a landfill, that took in products that contain PFAS, those chemicals can migrate out, they can contaminate the, the groundwater. If there's a drinking water supply nearby, then that could be contaminated as well. So we're exposed to PFAS chemicals day in and day out from all sorts of sources of exposure as Karen noted. And the use of PFAS in textiles contributes uh, to that exposure. Uh, in indoor air and household dust. Uh, we also know that all of us likely have measurable concentrations of PFAS. According to the uh, US Center for Disease Control, about 99% of Americans sampled have uh, measurable concentrations of PFAS in their blood. So chances are, sadly, all of us that are on tonight's webinar probably have these chemicals uh, in our bodies.
uh, we did a study uh, this past year looking at whether or not uh, new moms uh, had uh, PFAS in their breast milk. Uh, we wanted to understand whether or not also whether the newer PFAS, which the chemical industry has argued for years, would not build up, would not bioaccumulate in our bodies. So we collected samples of breast milk from 50 random women in the greater Seattle, Washington area. And these were ordinary folks like you and I, these were not folks that live near chemical plants or landfills or uh, known sources of PFAS contamination. And sadly, every woman whose breast milk was sampled had measurable concentrations of PFAS chemicals. Uh, across the board, there were 16 different PFAS compounds that were detected in this study. And 12 of those compounds were detected in more than 50% of samples, uh, which suggests that, that we're being exposed to not just one, but multiple types of these chemicals uh, in our uh, daily activities. And this was, a, you know, this was a relatively limited study. We only looked for a few dozen PFAS chemicals. There's actually over 9,000 that are out there uh, that may be used. And one of the things that was really concerning is that we did in fact find that the newer chemicals, what's referred to as short chain PFAS, uh, those chemicals also were found in women's breast milk. And we actually did a, a literature review and we found that these newer PFAS, the detections of these new PFAS compounds are doubling globally in women's breast milk every four years. So this is a growing concern. And this is one of the key reasons why we're concerned about the use of PFAS in textiles, because that is contributing to our exposure to these chemicals throughout the life cycle of the products as we, uh, as we talked about earlier. So that kind of sets, uh, I think the groundwork a little bit for uh, the study that we just recently published. So I wanna now kind of uh, shift to that a little bit and talk about what we did and what we found. So over the years, we found that product testing can be a really impactful way to drive change in the marketplace and also to help build uh, momentum for policy change uh, at the state and the federal level. Uh, we've done other studies before in recent years investigating PFAS and food packaging at big grocery store chains like Whole Foods and big fast food chains like McDonald's. In this study, we really wanted to look at whether or not PFAS chemicals can be found in everyday household textiles that we bring into our homes. For this study, we looked at three uh, common types of textiles that we have uh, that everyday American families use day in and day out. Uh, the first category was outdoor apparel, like hiking pants and rain jackets. Uh, the second category was bedding, like sheets and uh, mattress, uh, mattress protectors. And then the third category was tablecloths and napkins. Uh, for this study, we was there a question there? Uh, for this study, we predominantly looked at products that were marketed as stain or water resistant. We wanted to understand whether or not uh, PFAS were present in those types of products. Uh, samples were collected from ten major retailers. We first uh, analyzed the materials for total fluorine. So PFAS are chemicals that are made with fluorine, they're highly fluorinated chemicals. And for those products then that had high concentrations of fluorine, we then sent the, the materials to a second lab where they uh, conducted analysis for about 50, I think 51 different uh, PFAS compounds. So here's what we found. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we did find PFAS in most of the products that we tested, particularly those that were marketed as stain or water resistant. 72% uh, of products marketed as stain or water resistant contained PFAS chemicals. Uh, on the flip side, none of the products that we sampled that were not marketed as stain or water resistant, those products did not contain PFAS. So if you wanna protect yourself, one step you can take is to avoid products that are marketed as stain or water resistant. On the flip side though, 28% of those products marketed as stain or water resistant did not contain PFAS chemicals, suggesting alternatives are available. Sadly, we found PFAS in at least one product from each of the 10 retailers where we collected these samples. And here is a, a quick snapshot of the retailers we collected samples from. Uh, big box stores like Target and Walmart, uh, online retailers like Amazon, and popular outdoor apparel chains like REI and Dick's Sporting Goods. We think that all of these retailers have a responsibility to take out, to take action and reduce and eliminate uh, these chemicals in their products. Now I wanna look at a couple of the product categories. So with outdoor apparel, uh, we found PFAS in 15 out of 20 
outdoor apparel products we sampled like rain jackets, hiking pants, uh, shirts. So three out of four uh, outdoor apparel products marketed as stain or water resistant tested positive for PFAS. Uh, here's a quick snapshot of the laboratory findings and I'm not gonna go into depth here, but I think one of the things that is notable here is that you'll see each different color is a different compound. And for many of the products, we identified numerous PFAS compounds present, in some cases at pretty high levels. For example, uh, on the top, you see an REI co-op Gore-Tex jacket. That product contained over a thousand parts per billion of PFAS chemicals. And in this case, it contained both short and long chain PFAS compounds. Uh, for bedding, for products like comforters and sheets, 69% uh, of bedding products marketed as steam or water resistant tested positive for PFAS. Uh, we also found similar results for tablecloths and napkins. 71% of tablecloths and napkins marketed or st stain or water resistant contain PFAS chemicals. And this is of concern if you think about it, the bedding, we sleep on these products. The tablecloths and napkins, we eat off of these products. So we as consumers may be exposed just from going to bed, just from having meals with our family. So this is really alarming and this is really why uh, we're here tonight because we wanted to educate folks about what we can do to drive solutions to this issue. Uh, I'll just skip this because I'm running out of time here. Uh, again, the good news is we did find that alternatives uh, are available. 28% of products marketed as stain or water resistant did not contain PFAS chemicals. So brands, manufacturers, retailers, we don't need to use these chemicals anymore. There are alternatives that are out there that companies are using today. As, um, as was mentioned in the beginning by Beth, uh, states across the country are considering legislation to regulate PFAS in clothing and other types of textiles. In Washington state where our organization is based, we just got legislation passed uh, last month that will lead to regulation of PFAS in certain textiles. And here in New York state where many of us are, there's legislation, Senate Bill 6291, and Assembly Bill 7063 would prohibit or ban PFAS in clothing and other types of apparel. So that is something that we should all be supporting. We should be reaching out to our legislators at the state level, urging them to co-sponsor this legislation. And then finally, I wanna note that big companies like REI have a, have a responsibility to play as well. REI is a leader in the outdoor apparel industry. They're a company dedicated to sustainability However, they have failed to meaningfully take action on PFAS. While they have begun to reformulate some products like their ski wax, they still permit or allow the use of PFAS uh, in rain jackets and other textiles that they sell. Over the last couple of months, over 110,000 REI customers and members have sent emails and signed petitions to the CEO and board demanding action. REI's annual member meeting is coming up next month. So if you're a member of REI, we hope you'll contact the company. Uh, you can sign our petition on our website at toxicfreefuture.org uh, and urge REI to lead the outdoor apparel industry and to stop this toxic trail of pollution that is created from the use of PFAS in textiles. So that is uh, the end of my remarks. The report that I discussed is available for free on our website. And if you're interested in getting in touch with me, uh, here's my email address. And uh, with that, I will pass it back to Beth. Thanks a lot, really appreciate it. Wow, thank you so much, Mike. We'll, we'll definitely take questions at the end. Um, so if anyone, everyone wants to just hold on to their questions. But um, for me, I'm definitely shocked to hear that there's PFAS even in cloth napkins. It's just in things we would never suspect. It's really unbelievable. <laughs> so thank you. That was very informative. So, um, so our next speaker is Alexandra McNair Quinn. She is a globally recognized change agent in, in non-toxic fashion and a leading voice in the international dialogue to turn fashion lovers into conscious consumers through education and action. To help shed light on the hidden epidemic of harm, harmful chemicals in the clothing people wear and serve as a trusted source of content that would help close the transparency gap that exists between consumers and fashion and apparel brands, Alexandra founded Fashion Forward in 2018. So welcome. Thank you so much, Beth. And Mike, thank you. That was that was very educational. 
I, I'll try to, to, um, to teach you something new because he covered a lot and that was, that was really helpful even for me. So thank you. Um, okay, let me share my slides here. Um, so I wanted to first talk to you a little bit about my organization, uh, just briefly, and then uh, our PFAS in Apparel Report and Brand Scorecard, which just came out recently with NRDC and US PERG Education Fund. And I also wanted to share a little bit about what consumers can do to reduce their exposure to PFAS because we're all consumers and I think it helps to know practically what steps you can take. And I know Mike um, Mike shared a really good one that you need to just look for. Um, oftentimes you can just look for whether it's water or stain resistant. Um, so good start for what I'm about to share. So Fashion Forward is first and foremost a nonprofit designed for consumer education and action. We provide guidance, advice, insight, ways consumers can take action, like where to shop. We're also a watchdog for harmful chemical use in apparel products. I, I'll share, I'll, I'll spare you on my, my backstory, but um, sh short kind of two sentences as I, I worked as a sustainability consultant and really became interested in chemicals when meeting with a large brand. And they were really concerned about the impact that their chemicals were having on their workers. And so that really helped me, uh, you know, understand, you know, I really learned a lot at that point about uh, who the impact groups are. And I'll share a little bit about that with you right now. Um, you know, we talk a lot about the consumer impact, but there was also a huge impact on, on workers and the communities around the manufacturing facilities. Garment workers are exposed on a day-to-day -day basis to harmful chemicals, and many of them are, um, you know, such as PFAS, what we're talking about today, but um, many of them aren't always acknowledged because they're kind of out of sight, out of mind, but um, they're a really important group that are often hurt or often harmed a lot more than, than we know. Consumers are exposed often daily to unregulated chemicals, not just in our clothes, but in our sheets and our towels and our makeup and so many other things that we put on our body. And many of you might know of bioaccumulation, which um, all those small things that come into contact with us can add up. And um, the environment is another area hazardous wastewater, especially. There's just one example, but many of these factories, like Mike mentioned, don't have wastewater treatment facilities to capture the PFAS. Um, and, and many of these facilities wouldn't even be able to capture PFAS. So a lot of that, a lot of PFAS and other harmful chemicals enter those waterways of communities and uh, impact drinking water. And that touches on manufacturing communities, which, um, are also negatively impacted. So such as um, farmers and farmer communities. I, I know there's a study by EWG, which I found fascinating that talked about uh, families that lived within six miles of a, of a farm um, had who had children. They had neurological uh, developmental disorders um, ranging from ADD to uh, Asperger's of some, some range of Asperger's and it was, um, so, so farm farmers and garment workers are, are impacted, um, along with the communities around them. So a little bit just about who we are, um, we are, uh, you know, education and action are kind of two of our, um, our, our goals for how we are, um, connecting with consumers. So we are coming out actually with a consumer facing certification assessment next month, which I think is going to be really helpful for consumers because so many of us, we see the GOT certification or we see Okatex, we see Made Safe. We don't really know what the differences between those certifications are. So I hope that that um, education resource will be helpful. Um, we also have um, a number of other resources on our website. We have the report and scorecard, which, which I'll share with you in a little bit. And 
next we have action. So we're really focused this year, especially on brand campaigns. Uh, we have a campaign coming up with NRDC and US PERG to, um, to hold Columbia accountable for the, for the PFAS chemicals they're using in their products. They have not been active at all around developing a policy around PFAS. So we're, um, if you're interested in learning more, please feel free to reach out. We um, also have had a lot of success around our university chapters. So we have our, our biggest chapter is at the University of Texas in Austin. And it's just really encouraging to see how students are so energized and already so educated about chemicals and products. And so we're really excited about hopefully expanding those programs to other schools. So now I'll get into our PFAS report. So what I, what I wanted to share with you first is, um, so we just released this report about a week ago with NRDC and US PERG Education Fund. And just a little background, we, so we first surveyed 30 of the top US apparel brands and retailers on their commitments to eliminate all PFAS use in their supply chains. And then we graded them A through F on, your, on these commitments. Companies received the highest scores for their timeline so if they have already if they had already um, removed PFAS, they received more points versus having not. We also looked at product scope. So if their commitments applied to all their products that they sell versus just a few, we gave them more points. We also evaluated transparency. So many of these brands don't talk about their commitment publicly, so we gave them extra points for transparency. We also looked at whether or not they were removing the entire class of PFAS or just certain categories, which I'll talk a little bit about in a few minutes. Uh, the information we used for our results came from a survey we sent to each brand, along with publicly available information we found on their website or their CSR report or chemical policy. So we, we looked at four categories of apparel products. We looked at outdoor apparel, think hiking gear, kind of like what Mike shared earlier, Patagonia, REI. We looked at everyday wear. So Gap, American Eagle, Ralph Lauren, things that you would, apparel products that you would wear to work. And then we also looked at retailers to large department stores like Macy's, Nordstrom's, JCPenney. And we also looked at shoes and sports apparel, which was the fourth category. So let's see, I wanted to just to share a few of our key findings. I hope I'm not talking too fast. I wanted to just make sure I got through all my slides. So uh, let me know if I need to slow down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you have time. Okay, great. Um, so for, there are four, a few standouts. There were four companies that did really well. So. Levi's, Victoria's Secret, Keen Footwear, Decker Brands. So Decker Brands are like UGG and Tiva. They received high grades for leading the way in eliminating PFAS. The majority of America's favorite apparel brands, unfortunately, earned a D or lower for weak PFAS commitments, which included 18 of the companies we surveyed. So some of these companies have not adopted a policy to phase out PFAS at all. We were really unimpressed by, especially the outdoor industry. Um, many of these outdoor brands talk about their eagerness to preserve nature places or um, make a difference with the environment. Yet the majority of the PFAS used in the apparel sector, like for waterproof and stain resistant coatings, uh, these, these brands were particularly egregious. Um, they, many of them lacked any sort of commitment or policy Examples are Columbia, REI, Wolverine, all received Fs. And so we were really happy to see that Patagonia earned a B. They had the highest score in the sector. And they're the only outdoor brand that committed to eliminating PFAS from all of their products by 2024. 
And I, and this is a really big deal. It was probably the hardest, probably the hardest sector to convince to change because waterproof performance is such an issue um, when it comes to, P, it can be an issue when it comes to PFAS, at least in their eyes. While as a consumer, many of us as a consumer, we're, we're not climbing Mount Everest. So we don't, we don't need that level of, um, of water protection that um, many of these brands using PFAS um, or use an excuse to use PFAS. So it's a really big deal and we hope it'll be a catalyst for other outdoor brands to follow suit. And then lastly, but not least, <laughs> there's a lot more in the report that I'm not able to cover, but many companies fail to label PFAS use in their products and use outdated definitions and misleading terminology in their commitments. So um, many of these are inconsistent with the majority of the international and scientific communities. Uh, scientific consensus says that PFAS chemicals have, are, are defined by the existence of, existence of at least one fully fluorinated carbon atom. And so all PFAS are of environmental concern. So outdated definitions, lack of labeling, they could all really um, all result in consumer confusion around which products to purchase and which causes harm to, to their family and friends and themselves. Uh, one example of that is PFCs. So many brands will say that they're PFC free, but PFCs is just a part of the category, the umbrella of PFAS and can be just as harmful to human and environmental health. So um, that's been one of the biggest issues for me is, is not as a consumer, it's just, it's just really difficult to know uh, what, what brands are, have your back and which ones don't, um, which are removing PFAS and which ones don't. So um, I think that's gonna be a struggle for a little while, but hopefully we can we can get some legislation where they um, mandate uh, better labeling and more um, regulations around companies and transparency. As you can see, Patagonia did better than the others, much better. We are, like I said, coming out with a campaign against Columbia. And I know that Mind the Store is doing a lot of work with REI. So, um, kind of higher end brands like Jimmy Choo, Michael Kors, Coach, Coach and Kate Spade all had F grades. Levi's had the best grade out of all the brands that we surveyed. And you can find these scorecards on our report as well as on Fashion Forward's Instagram on our website. You can access that report on our homepage. Um, global retail brands like Macy's, Nordstrom's, Costco, they all receive failing marks. And shoes and sports apparel brands. Um, Keen did really, really well. Same with Deckers. I won't get into this too much because I know we already kind of touched on this, but um, I think it's important just to mention that PFAS can enter the body through our water, the air, the food we eat, the products we use and can accumulate in the blood and breast milk and body organs, including the lungs and kidneys. And they can take several years to be flushed out. So I wanted to show this figure because I thought it was really, really helpful. Um, just showing how every organ in the body is linked to, almost every organ in the body are linked to, to a host of health problems, including kidney, and kidney issues, testicular cancer, liver damage, a weakened immune system. So. Um, fortunately, these impacts can occur even at really low levels of exposure. So what can you do as a consumer? I think we can speak out to our favorite retailers. We can write to them on social media. We can send them an email. We have templates for writing letters or emails to companies on our website. You can do the same with your legislators, which Mike touched on. You can sign our petition, or it's more of a pledge, actually, uh, which is on our website. And we hope to use that as fuel to, to share with legislators and companies to show that people really care about this issue. And it's really easy. You can just go to our website, Fashion Forward or fashionfwd.org. And there's a, a, like a little button right on the homepage. 
that'll take you to the pledge. Polar Tech is a manufacturing company that makes products for a lot of the well-known brands that we that we love. So they make products for Patagonia and REI and uh, Columbia, other brands, and they have become 100% PFAS free. So when you're shopping, look for Polar Tech. And I know that Gore-Tex, which many of you are familiar with, are becoming PFAS free by 2022, I think by the end of this year. So correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, I think, I think it's the end of the year. So they will be, uh, a pro like it went to, when you shop, look for the Gore-Tex label. And then you can also look at our brand scorecard to align your values and purchases with brands that you admire for their work and leadership. And our report has a table in it. And I wanted to just read real quickly one, like one of the first lines from the table, because I think it's really helpful. Um, the table is a guide for consumers to read labeling on their products. So what it does is basically it, it looks, it has, um, it helps you know what certain labels mean and how to decipher them. So for example, when you see something that says water resistant, waterproof, stain resistant, dirt repellent, or DWR, what it really means is that products with these labels may contain PFAS. Ask the manufacturer if, product, if the product contains PFAS, and if it does, avoid buying. So what it does is it, it tells you different labels, what it means, and what action to take. So that can also be found in our report, which is on our website. And lastly, um, you know, you can go to our website. There are many other resources for consumers. There's lots of ways to take action and get involved. And that's it. Thank you so much for listening. And um, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out. Here is my email. Here's our Instagram, which we're pretty active on and our, our website. Thanks. That was really great. Thank you so much, Alexandra, for sharing that information. So now we'll open it up to questions. I'm sure people have questions. You can just unmute yourself. Um, I'll see if anyone has their, their hands raised. I know um, one thing I would add is, you know, just research from my own book. I, I found the same thing that some of the highest end brands that you pay so much money for actually had no commitment to sustainability, weren't using sustainable fabrics. Um, so it's really kind of shocking. Um, so I'm really glad to see this information getting out. So I see Karen has her hand raised. Go ahead. That was great. Um, I think that's why I'm a health advocate because every day that I think I know a big broad stroke about a subject, I listen to uh, Mike, Alexandra, Laura, Beth, and I learned something. So here's a crazy question. You know how I started and I put myself in it and I thought about the blankets that I was happy to buy when becoming a mommy and a grandma. And then I just moved on and I did buy everybody their first raincoat. So if we now know as more layers of studying and we also know science is extremely slow. And Mike, you told us that it's now in napkins. I think Laura went like, it's now in napkins. Wow, that was new to her and new to me. Why wouldn't we think that it's in the blanket that I buy for my next grandchild? We don't. So therefore, you know, what we don't, we know that it's everywhere. We know that it's a forever chemical and we know that we need to do something about it. Um, and that science is slow. So why wouldn't I think that um, we're gonna discover in the next uh, year that it was in that, blanket or it was in the cotton that you know made the blanket because I only think about my most vulnerable which is my kids yeah um I think you raised a number can you guys hear me yeah I think you raised a number of really important point points Karen I mean one of the things that we didn't talk too much about is and I alluded to this is that there's over 9,000 chemicals in the PFAS family and the more that we study them, the more that we understand that um, many of them can be uh, quite hazardous at even very low levels of exposure. 
the industry likes to argue, oh, you know, we should not restrict them all. Let's, you know, study them one at a time. Well, that would probably take hundreds, maybe thousands of years to, uh, to regulate PFAS, all PFAS. I mean, uh, you know, we've known asbestos, for example, kills tens of thousands of Americans every year. And it wasn't until literally last week that the US EPA proposed to ban imports of asbestos. They first tried to do that back in the 1980s. So, you know, that's, you know, these are reasons why we really need to take uh, a more precautionary health protective approach. You know, we understand that many of the PFAS chemicals that we've studied are problematic. And that's why we're advocating for common sense policies to regulate them as a class uh, to protect uh, infants and young children and other um, vulnerable populations. You know, I think you're right. There's probably no way to know whether or not that blanket that you had years ago uh, contained PFAS, but chances are if it was marketed as stain or water resistant, our, our recent testing reveals that uh, it probably, uh, you know, products that are marketed as stain or water resistant uh, often do can often do contain PFAS. And this is why we, uh, we're really advocating for change at the state level, at the federal level, and in the marketplace. So I know many of us live in New York, and I think you know, one action that we can all take uh, tonight uh, before you go to bed, or maybe first thing you wake up tomorrow is to send a note, uh, send a message to your legislator in the state assembly and the state senate and ask them to co-sponsor uh, this legislation to ban PFAS. We really need common sense policy solutions to protect the most vulnerable. And then we also need big corporations uh, to step up. REI just last week reported record profits. Their sales grew by over 30% year over year. So it was a multi-billion dollar company selling billions of dollars of outdoor gear and other products, a lot of which is laden with PFAS chemicals. We think that REI must and should lead the outdoor apparel industry to drive these dangerous chemicals out of the products that they sell. We don't think anyone's drinking water should be polluted for a rain jacket. We don't think any women's breast milk should be polluted for a rain jacket. And that's why we're working with Fashion Forward and others to advocate for change uh, to protect Americans from these unnecessary uh, persistent toxic chemicals. Uh, I have a question about bedding. So, um... If, if we see a label in a store, whatever store that sells linens, bedding, whatever, um, and it indicates that the bedding is organic, does that really mean that PFAS is not allowed? I, you know, can, can we feel safe that it's saying organic and the sheets and the blankets, whatever the label is that says organic, doesn't contain PFAS? I can answer that one. Um, so a lot of people think that organic means that the final product is free of harmful chemicals. And so I, I think that's a majority of people because food is often that way, right? Um, but in fact, organic stops at the farm. So organic cotton protects farmers and farming communities. But as soon as that cotton ent enters the manufacturing facility, that's when all the harmful chemicals like the PFAS are added. So anything that says organic in terms of cotton, it does not mean that it's free of harmful chemicals, such as PFAS, unfortunately. I'm so glad I asked that question. And now I'm so outraged. I know I'm going to do something terrible to these, things, these companies. I mean, honestly, you know, how is anybody supposed to know that? I've been looking at organic from my food to my, to, to my clothing to to bedding, whatever. And now I, I'm, I'm sleeping with the enemy. I can't believe this. Yeah. <laughs> now the global organic textile standard is an organic standard certification that does ensure that most harmful chemicals are not in the final product. So if you do see something that's organic, but certified GOTS, it's known as G-O-T-S, global organic textile standard, then that's the one to go for. However, they they don't um, they don't have a strong policy against PFAS, unfortunately. But they I do have the text. most most chemicals are most harmful chemicals are um, I should say most. But you can be yeah, most harmful chemicals are not in the in the GOTS certified products. Although PFAS, right, Mike? Mike. PFAS is not one of the chemicals that they've completely eliminated. 
Yeah, that's right. If you take a look at the GOTS standard, it, it's a little complicated, but essentially if you take a look at the GOTS standard, they don't outright prohibit PFAS, but then they've told us that uh, there are no PFAS on their list of approved chemicals. So it's a little confusing. I, I agree that GOTS is definitely better than a lot of the other third-party standards. Uh, they, you know, certainly there's room for improvement and, you know, we hope that they'll finish the job and make it clear that PFAS is completely prohibited, but it is a definitely a step in the right direction and a stronger standard than many of the other third-party standards that are out there for textiles. What about baby sheets? What, they're, they're, they're throwing PFAS into baby sheets, even if it says organic. So across the board, then that's what's occurring? Yep. That's unbelievable. I see a letter to the editor coming. Oh, I see <laughs> many course. letters going in many directions. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so scary because, um, you know, the PFAS is also in firefighting foam. So we're finding it in the water on Long Island. Um, some of you may actually have seen the movie Dark Waters with Mark Ruffalo. They were talking about, uh, you know, that was a whole, it was like fictional, but based on a true story. Um, about a lawyer who's fighting the the industry that makes PFAS. And um, just in Newsday the other day, I'll, I'll put the cover up here, um, Forever Chemicals in Private Wells. This was just in the last week. So it's definitely a big issue that's going on. And um, I think we have time for one more question. I know Salma has a question. Go ahead. Because I usually find that um, in arguments like this where people have to make a change. They're reluctant because they don't know about any alternatives. And I was wondering if there were any um, friendly substitutes to PFAS or, and, or can products serve their purpose just as effectively without it? Uh, yeah, I would, I would just say that absolutely that we can use, we can have the same outcomes with products that we use today that don't have PFAS in them. So we can still stay dry with water with a waterproof jacket that doesn't have PFAS on a rainy day. And to answer the other part of your question, there aren't well-known alternatives available. Now there all are alternatives, but they aren't, they're manufacturing alternatives. So they're alternatives that brands will use like PolarTech or Gore-Tex to be a mem membrane for their waterproof gear, but it's not like something that you can go and buy, you know, um, you can buy PolarTech, you can buy Gore-Tex, you can look for those products, but it's not as simple as that, unfortunately. And I'm glad to hear about Patagonia because I know they've been such a pioneer in yeah. so many ways in, in terms of using sustainable fabrics and recycling their fabrics. So mm -hmm. that's very encouraging. So, made safe is so I just real quick wanted to mention that made safe is a consumer facing certification that is PFAS free as well. And you can go to the Green Science Policy Institute. They have a website for PFAS free products and they're a great resource for um, for those. So if you're looking to shop, go to their site. Made safe. From the green side. Yeah, I'll put that in the in the chat box. Chat. Yeah, thank you, Salma. That's a great question about alternatives. So yeah, again, I just want to remind people to please send a letter to the legislators for the New York State bill. I'll send everyone an email with the draft, you know, template if you'd like to use it. And I want to thank again our co-sponsors, the Huntington Breast Cancer Action Coalition, the Great Neck Breast Cancer Coalition. Mike Shade from Toxic Free Futures and Alexandra Quinn from Fashion Forward. Thank you so much for sharing all your passion and information. And um, any last words from anyone before we wrap up? Thanks, Green Inside and Out. Thanks, Beth. <laughs> your book started me on this quest. Thank oh. you. You're welcome. Thanks everyone for participating. And Beth, thank you for hosting. You're wonderful. Yes. Sure. Uh, thank you, Beth. Thank, Thank you, Alexandra, you. Karen, and Lauren. Everyone was fantastic. And uh, yeah, really appreciate the opportunity. So thanks again, everyone, for joining. That brings us to the end of our podcast. 
We hope you enjoyed it, learned a lot, and feel inspired to take actions to protect our earth and your health. I want to thank our team, our sound engineer, Jonathan Flores, content strategist, Rose Chapano, and Jessica Chappelle on social media. You can find the Green Inside and Out podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and other podcast platforms. Please subscribe and give us a review. If you would like to sponsor a podcast, please see our website, greeninsideandout.org, where you can also learn more about the work we do. We appreciate your support. So until next time, stay green.